This morning, our Old Testament reading is from the prophet Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. The Lord sends Ezekiel into Israel to show people their sin. And as you can imagine, that is not a popular thing for people to receive as messages of repentance. But the Lord here reminds Ezekiel that if he says something is wrong, it is the job of his prophets to tell the people it is wrong. And that by doing so, they remove the guilt from their own heads. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading comes to us from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13. In this portion of Romans, uh, Paul writes something that may be hard to hear, as he says that we must listen to our governing authorities even when we don't agree with them, that they create laws for the purposes of good order. Now, of course, we, uh, if somebody calls us to do what is against God's word, that's a different story. But remember that Paul is talking to Romans, people under Caesar, who had no love and, in fact, quite a bit of hatred for the Christian church. So Paul is reminding us that we must do good so as to not be punished. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law, loves one another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please rise as we hear from the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Jesus uh, teaches quite a bit during our gospel for today, uh, answering a question of the disciples by pointing to a small child and then also telling them of the seriousness of sin. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to each and every one of you through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps one of the most universally recognized symbols is the cross. 
People all over the world know, at least even if they don't believe in Christ, even if they don't believe the words of Scripture, when they see a cross, they associate it with the Christian faith. If you walked into a house of worship and you saw crosses, you may not know exactly what they teach, but you know basically what kind of trajectory they're on, with maybe a few other instances of it, but mostly... You see the cross, you know what you're in for. That this is a church that at least acknowledges Christ. That they acknowledge Jesus dying on the cross. And when we look at the cross, we also see more than just a group of people or a group of like-minded worshipers. We see the cross and we think about salvation. We think about forgiveness. We think about sacrifice. We think about the love of of God provided to us. But a word that we don't often associate with the cross is the word justice. Perhaps when you think of justice, you have a different symbol of your mind, of of lady justice, the blindfolded woman standing with scales. But the cross of Christ stands for love, grace, Forgiveness, salvation, but also justice. You know, when we, when we delight in the grace of God, we're delighting in a love that God provides for us that we cannot pay back. We're delighting in a love that we have not earned in the first place. We are delighting in a love that we simply do not deserve. We know that he has done the impossible. He has taken our past our sins, our mistakes, those hurtful words we have spoken, those shameful thoughts, those disobedient actions, and he has washed them away and makes them no more. They are completely and utterly removed from us. But today in our gospel reading for today, For our gospel reading, Jesus speaks of sin as if it is a present threat. Like I said, we look at the cross and think of sin erased, sin gone, sin is is no longer an issue. But Jesus speaks in a little bit different way, doesn't he? He says about the children, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Brutal, graphic, and shockingly difficult words from Christ. You know, we would be in error if we took what we knew about the cross, if what we took what we knew about the grace of God, 
And we interpreted that into meaning that God doesn't really think sin is a big deal. Sometimes we get there, don't we? We think about forgiveness and we think, well, you know what? Uh, God obviously doesn't really care about sin because he just makes it go away anyway as if he's uh, sweeping up some dust and instead of taking care of it, he just uh, opens the, or pulls up the rug and puts it underneath there and says, ah, someone, no one will find it there. But it's pretty clear by the words of Christ, Christ who knows exactly where he's headed, Christ who knows exactly what he's going to do on that cross, that he's going to forgive the sins of mankind, that he's going to erase them from us, he still, he still acknowledges that sin is deadly. Sin, it is, it, is much more, it is much better to be mutilated than to commit sin. And, and, and this is hard for us to hear. Because Christ speaks of it in such harsh, difficult, and violent terms that we should avoid sitting, sinning and consider it serious. So which is it? Does God consider our, our thoughts and our words and our actions to be serious business or is it no big deal and he just gets rid of it like trash? You know, sometimes we catch ourselves having a fundamental misunderstanding about God's grace. It's easy to think of God's grace as him just glossing over our sins, saying no big deal, giving us a little nudge and a wink, saying, I know I said not to do it, but you just keep going, you crazy kid. That's not the way it works. That's not the way God works. Sin is sin. It can't be ignored. And that's why the cross is a sign of justice. If somebody does something wrong against you, you want justice. If they took something from you, you want it back. If they told a lie, you at least want an apology, if not them explaining themselves and making it right. But if somebody took something from you and the police came by and said, well, they took it, but we really don't feel like doing anything about it, that wouldn't be justice you would feel as if something wrong had happened. And so when we sin against God, when we break God's law, when we uh, separate ourselves from him by our thoughts, our words, and our actions, God doesn't simply look at it and say, hey, no big deal. It needs to be punished. It needs to be dealt with. Justice must, must be served. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. So when we see the cross, we don't just see a symbol of our church, but we see what justice really looks like. What our wrong thoughts, our shameful actions, and our bitter words have brought about is death and separation from God. Because that's exactly what it does. When we are selfish and greedy, when we are untruthful or hurtful, when we have those thoughts that we know we ought not to have, it drives us away from God. And we deserve to be on that cross. Because that would be justice. 
But instead of God saying, well, sin's not a big deal, we're not going to deal with it, he actually deals with it very straightforwardly. He delivers the punishment for every sin. He delivers the punishment for every thought, word, and action against his divine law. And he delivers that wrath directly on his son. It is all paid. And so God uses the cross of Christ to bring justice. But that's not all. Jesus gives us a, a little parable, kind of a mini parable, as he says this. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. As we sit in our church, as we hear God's word, our minds will often hear that many parable and think of that one person who isn't here today. We think of that person who they've gone astray from the flock and they need to come back. But I challenge you this morning to not Think of that one sheep as them, but me and you. Because the point here is not that we are the ones who are doing great. We are the ones who are lost. We are the ones who by our sin have distanced ourselves from God. We are the ones who our lies and our selfishness and our grudges and our anger have separated us from God. And how does God bridge that gap? He uses his cross as a bridge to reach us, to come find us in our separation. Because that shepherd would have had every right to say, I've got 99 sheep. I'm not going to risk their lives and go after the one. He's going to get what he deserves. God could say that about me. God could say that about you. That would be justice and we would have nothing to say about it. But God through his cross, God through his word, God through his sacraments reaches out into our lost lives and he redeems us back from the death of sin. He redeems us back from our own actions, our own words, and our own thoughts and he does it by the power of the cross and the justice that he brought about on that cross. That it isn't now justice for us to just stay lost, but now for us to hear that word of Christ, of salvation, of grace, of forgiveness that comes to us only through the blood of Christ. It connects us with the good shepherd who finds us his lost sheep and brings us back into the fold he brings our wandering hearts back to him. And he assures us that our sins are not what define us. He assures us that our past is not who we are. But that we can look to that cross and know that what I deserve has already been paid for. We can look to the cross and know that God willingly gave his son so that I could be a permanent part of his flock. So that I 
would be no longer lost but found, no longer wandering, but in his arms safe and sound, and a part of his flock here, now, and forever. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.